Hey everybody, welcome to the What's the Scuttlebutt podcast. I am happy to have our second interview with uh, Mr. Fritz Lindenbach. How are you doing today, sir? I'm doing fine, thank you. Appreciate your time. Let's go back to the beginning. What town were you born in? I've been born in uh, Neckarhausen, which is a, a small town uh, close to the big industrial city of Mannheim. What year were you born? I'm born in uh, 1936. 1936. Now, obviously, in the late 30s, Germany was still living under the rules of the Treaty of Versailles, which had a huge impact on your economy, your gross domestic product, and, well, the morale of your country. Do you remember back then how the normal German citizen felt about what the Treaty of Versailles had done to your country and to the economy? and what it was like to work pretty much for nothing because all your money was being sent to France and to England. Inflation was through the roof. The Deutschmark was worth almost nothing. Well, the, the biggest impact was, uh, as you mentioned, the economy was down, which was also the reason in order for uh, Adolf Hitler to become the leader. That has a lot to do. That was even the time where a lot of Germans immigrated in the United States as well. And uh, what I remember, I mean, as I mentioned, I'm born in 1976, as a, as a boy, we had a lot of big, we have a tough time to survive, you know. It was, the whole conversation was around food and what are we cooking tonight and tomorrow, and, and, and it was my, my childhood, actually. How many siblings did you have? I had one more brother. And he was 11 years older, and he was uh, he was in uh, World War II okay. on the Russian front, and he came back heavily, heavily injured, 80%. At this time, though, when you're still a child, what were, what did your parents do? What was your family doing to try to make a living or to figure out a way to survive? Well, <laughs> the reason for us to survive this was what basically grow behind the house. This is that was our survival. Of course, we had uh, we had pigs, we had goats, we had. This is why uh, we has been in a better position than the city people. The city people have no ha, did not have those kind of options. So you guys, you guys live basically on a farm. It's a small farm. It was not necessarily the the main income. Uh, my father worked for the train okay. at the time, but we still. Uh, so you were able to supplement your food exactly. by growing and yes. slaughtering your own animals. Exactly, yes. As the years went by, as the 30s, you know, got closer to the 40s, and 38 is when Germany invaded Poland. Right. As that time was building up and as Hitler was getting more and more power and things were changing, obviously you're young at that time, but do you kind of remember the stress or, you know, how people in general, the way they acted changed? Could, was it detectable how people were changed, how they were acting, or whether they were scared, or were they excited for the promised future? Because Hitler promised a lot to people because because you guys were working so hard, your money was going away, yeah. and he presented a scapegoat, yeah. he presented ideas, yeah. and in the early years, he presented make-work jobs, such as the right. building of the Autobahn, exactly. and all these things, so exactly. he was promising jobs, he was starting to yeah. deliver, yeah. Superinflation hadn't happened yet, yeah. so you guys, people didn't realize that these jobs he was making really didn't produce financially for the country, but right. 
he was paying you guys, you know, the, the jobs were starting to appear. Right. You are 100% right. What he actually promised, he did what he promised at the very beginning. That was the first time where mothers became money when they get birth to child to, to babies and stuff like this. Mm -hmm. That was new. He was the inventor, as you said, the, the Autobahn. Was sure. new. He was the inventor of the Beetle Volkswagen. Mm -hmm. yep. That was the, his Ferdinand Porsche. Exactly. That was the the the, the uh, uh, a family car, two adults and two children. That was his idea. And uh, he did he did actually and, and the people as a matter of fact in the 30s, where a lot of people, Germans, moved out of the country in the United States, there even some came back to Germany because it was a time where the United States was not in best shape as well. Yeah, we were also deep into our depression. Exactly. Yeah. And, and I can imagine if you're a German immigrant in America and there's no jobs to be had, exactly. and you start yeah. seeing newspaper clippings, letters from home saying, hey, things are getting better over here. Yeah. Um, we're producing yeah. jobs. Some of them moved back again to Germany. Yeah. <laughs> they got back here. Yeah, they got out of the and they came back again. But it changed uh, uh, soon uh, after again. Uh, Hitler started on all fronts. You know, you know the, there was Stalin, Mussolini, mm -hmm. and, uh, and uh, uh, the English Prime Minister, and Hitler, that was the four who had, and Roosevelt of the United sure. States, who had those meetings. But Hitler was not the honest guy. He was a, he was a bad guy. Oh, so. absolutely. <laughs> and yeah. and as he gained more and more power, he started creating more absurd laws. Absolutely. Like one of the first laws he passed was that no female Jew between the ages of twelve yeah. and I think twenty-six, basically childbearing right, ages, right, right. could work in the house. Right. Yeah. Of a Gentile, if right. you will. Yeah. And through later research after the war, some speculate. And I kind of speculate the reason for that law. Yeah. Looking back at it now, it seems like a lot of the things Hitler did early on right. were due to self-hatred of himself. Right. He strongly believed that he was a bastard child of a Jewish girl right. who worked for his father. Yeah. And so later on, the first law he passes, yeah. if that same law existed yeah. when he was a child, yeah. he would have never have been born. A lot of these things he did as he... he got more power, right. a lot of these rules basically would prevent him from ever coming to power to begin with. Exactly. Yeah. I remember as a child sitting in the stroller, mm -hmm. I remember this very, very vividly, sitting in the stroller and uh, I came the Necker River, Rhine River, River Necker River. My town was on one side and Ladenburg is a over 2,000 year old Roman town on the other side. Okay. And this is where a lot of Jews lived in this town, and they had their own businesses sure. as well. And I remember where the Jewish action took place, where the Nazis had gotten in the houses. That or even I see how, still as a child see yeah. where they threw furniture out of the out of the uh, uh, houses, out of third and, and two, second and third floor and stuff. You know, when they were clearing out their apartments and exactly. putting them in. Well, and they put them away as yeah, well. Yeah, they were sending them off to yeah. ghettos and then later on it, concentration camps. Exactly, yeah. Obviously, you're a young child, but you remember seeing those sort of actions. Do you remember if there were any prominent Jewish people in your town, people who had prominent positions that just vanished one day and yeah. people just kind of... From like, one day to another, yeah. There also, I still remember neighbors which was, I mean, 
it was always dangerous if people had children. And if parents or growing up people discussed something about the regime and all this kind of thing and spoke about, if they said something negative in front of children, and children that talk that, talk to each other, or mention something with neighbor children, and their children mention something to their parents, that took them away. Or their teachers. That took them away. There were teachers, there were business people, prominent people, as a matter of fact. Yeah, it was the Gestapo actually who yeah. took them away. Yeah, yeah. I remember when my parents been talking about, and my parents never had anything to do with Hitler and this ideal and all this kind of stuff. Absolutely. Whenever I came close, they stopped talking. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. They always kept this very secretive. You know. Yeah. Well, once again, because you're a young age, yeah, but you're going to school. You're yeah. being told, hey, if yeah. you hear people saying these yeah. type of things, you yeah. need to report it to us. Yeah. Yeah. And they knew that as yeah. a child, you you didn't understand the severity of what was going on. See, we, we at, me as a child, I had a totally different upbringing, like probably children now. I has gotten. I was six years old when I got to school. I graduated when I was fourteen. That was the eight years schooling at the time through high school, and all the children they were prepared. I learned my trade when I was fourteen years old start with six and the last four years the first four years was ground school the last four years it depend on your grades then i got into a higher gymnasium and i learned english already in those days strange enough fantastic <laughs> yeah and i mean i'm my brother i know a lot through my brother because he was 11 years older he built even an airplane did he he built an airplane in the school he built an airplane and as a school child <laughs> That's crazy. This is crazy. <laughs> yeah. To think, well, to think that a school would have the, the tools and the technology available to build yeah. A, yeah. to build a plane is one thing, but right. to have the resources yes. yeah. and the children smart yeah. enough to make it happen. And not only the boys, also the girls, they had to learn how to net, how to sew, how to do. They had every day, at least an hour or an hour and a half like schooling in practice mm -hmm. how to survive how to do things in their later life and stuff you know how to learn yeah as you grew older and you progressed through school do you remember the indoctrination through the schools getting worse as far as the fear you know the third reich your dominance over other people did was the schools really heavy into that indoctrination or did a lot of them try to stay away from it but do what they had to do to meet the requirements of the government they stayed away yeah, they, they stayed away for they even have been through so much before and had been very careful they stayed away very very, very much it started losing up then later where Erhard became the first uh, uh, leader in in, in uh, in, in Germany mm -hmm. after that and or Adenauer as a matter of fact and uh, this is where the whole thing start changing you know yeah. well when we had when we had has to uh, had gotten to school we have to stand up the, the teacher was the one who says Heil Hitler mm -hmm. and the, the, the pupils we have to say the same thing and we even sing, sing the song you know the national anthem you know sure. Deutschland Deutschland über alles and über alles in the world you know this is this Rainbow stuff there, you know. Yeah. Your brother was 11 years older than you. Yeah. And he went off to fight in the war. Yeah. 
was he uh, forced to join or did he he was forced to join yeah because yeah. i knew most of the weimar republic's military he, was forced to join yeah because by the outline of the treaty of versailles yeah. the army could only have i think a hundred thousand yeah. yeah. soldiers or less oh yeah maybe fifty thousand and oh, so yeah. i guess they would be forced to join yeah he was in uh, in arbeitsdienst what the cell uh, mentioned oh, that was the beginning they have to go through very tough schooling before they even get into the military that was a schooling it was a, a north of frankfurt there was a i remember i I have been there with my mother. We visit my 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 uh, brother there. You know, we could see him a, a couple of days. So he, of he actually went off to a, like a, a schooling before he went into the military, almost like a boarding school before no. military schooling. Yes. Okay. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And then he he was well. We we lost a lot of times contact about him. He he was later on with a very special uh, division. They called this kind of uh, division SA-Standarte Feldhernhalle. That was a major division who only fight different territoriums and, and very, very uh, secret uh, missions and this type of thing. More like clandestine stuff? Exactly. It was it was an, 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 an SS uh, battalion, so to speak. Okay, so they were like a sub-battalion of the exactly. SS? Exactly, yes. Yeah. I would imagine as the war progressed on and we rolled into, you know, 42, 43, shortages probably got more dramatic as far as, you know, aluminum, uh, silk, food, things of that nature. No. At what point, I mean, you're still pretty young. In the 30s, Germany was starting to come up. The economy, things were seeming to be better. Mm -hmm. But then as the war progressed... Obviously, more of the resources were getting allocated to the war. Mm -hmm. I'm sure you guys started to feel some of the same shortages that the people in America were feeling when it came to, you know, metal silk shortages, sure. food rations, and yeah. things like that. Yeah. Um, did they have food rations to supplement the hyperinflation? Because, I mean, a loaf of bread was crazy amounts of money back oh, of then. Of course, of course. Well, first of all, what we had in, in Germany... We had uh, like Lebensmittel, like food stamps, so to speak. Food stamps. Okay. It's a it's a, a type of food stamps, but you only can get it certain days and certain times, and you have to cut out the stamp. That was a whole page of like uh, kind of like postage stamps. Yeah, yeah. You have to cut them out. Mm -hmm. You know, but they're only good like Monday, Thursday, and Sunday. Exactly. That was the fish. That was for the meat, that was for this, for this, for this, for certain things. You could even, you could only buy a pair of shoes per year, something like this, that was all regulated, you know, yeah. Okay. And uh, you, that was worthless unless it's been announced tomorrow or on on another two or three days, there is this, what you can get and, and stuff. But you still have to pay for Yeah. You still have to pay for it, it is not free. But you could only get it the second days, you know. So that stamp didn't give you the the, the food; it gave you the right to purchase the food exactly. if you had the money. You weren't yes. that stamp wasn't a form of currency; that was just your permission it, exactly. to buy exactly. that item. Exactly. Yeah. And so you could have all the stamps you want, but if you didn't have the Deutschmarks to pay for it, you could but exactly. Yeah. When the um, war started to get closer to Germany. Mm -hmm and um, the Allies started to do bombing and air raids. 
did any of those air raids happen close to the vicinity of the towns you grew up in? Could you hear them off in the distance? Did it become normal to see planes flying over in oh, formation? Yeah. Oh yeah, well, as I said, my hometown was about eight miles away from the city of Mannheim. And Mannheim is a very high industrial city. They had the MWM, which manufactured even by now, still exists the big ocean liner diesel engines, okay. then Mercedes. And there was even in between the, t the city of Mannheim and my town, there was the main railroad track, Berlin, Munich, Stuttgart, Frankfurt, which was a very interesting target. Yeah, between the, 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 between the manufacturing plants and the train depots, you guys were basically ex yeah. high priority target. Absolutely, inclusive the autobahns. As a matter of fact, uh, I remember a lot of times when there was a, a signal where the train had to stop because there was a train station a couple of miles further down. And when the train stopped, all the passengers had to go out of the train and had to go under the train. Under the train. In case they were strafed by air? Yeah. In case they're, you know. We knew always, as a matter of fact, when we got bumped, we knew except. My brother came one time, he was a sharpshooter and everything, he was fantastic in whatever he did in his life. And then he got a couple of days vacation for benefit and stuff, mm -hmm. you know. And he came one time and had a whole list from A to C. And I don't know how the Germans find out whenever they came from England, the bombers, you know, the B-22s, the b 8 when they know exactly where they're going to. And we had a radio. That all, we had only one outlet in the whole house. Okay. <laughs> when when the radio was on, my mother could not iron. Or iron, there was no radio. Sure. I mean, this is the way it's been at the time, you know. But whenever the, they said to the radio, Siegfried, Siegfried 7, I never forget this in my life. Siegfried, Siegfried 7, this is where Mannheim was on, on target. Really? That was the target of Mannheim, yeah. And that came in formations, I was, yeah, yeah. Now, I'm sure at that point, when you guys became a target-rich environment for the Allies, oh, had, yeah. everything had to be pitch black. Oh, yeah. Well, it has to be pitch black, even, even if there was no... I remember when we drove a bike at night, we have to tape the lamp, the lamp on the front. There was only, only a little slit. A little slit, so you could... Yeah. Barely see. Same so, with the cars. So there is no 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 target to uh, to the airplanes, you know. Yeah, cars the same. Yeah. Well, there was hardly any cars anyway, you know. Sure. As the war progressed in Russia and the Allies started to come into Germany, did any of that ground combat ever get near your your town, or did you guys primarily suffer from air raids? There was ground fighting. I could. I was there was ground fighting, and I remember with my uncle. He was he was uh, in World War One, and he had some combat uh, experience, sure. so to speak. And me, as a boy, I always stood next to him, and he was the one who, who taught me. See over there and there, and and I said this uh, earlier. Uh, that was such a dumb thing, you know, where the Americans came in, they blew up bridges. Mm -hmm. 
bridges in in my hometown from 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 my hometown to this Ladenburg to this 2000 yeah, Roman town blow the up. Germans would blow them up as the they retreated before the Americans came in to slow down the advance of the Allies to slow down to try to get them stuck and the, Americans, and the Americans came in and built the pontoon bridge yep. <laughs> in two hours yep. right next to the to the to the bridge yep the engineers know. would come in and build a bridge so they could the, the tanks that drew they've got over the over the pontoon uh, bridges with tanks, you know. And so yeah. essentially blowing up the bridges yeah. really did nothing to slow the advancement down over about two hours. It was a total nonsense. Yeah. It was a total nonsense, yeah. And and uh, we saw even from, because we had, luck, we were lucky enough, that was the last house of the town where we lived at the time. Mm -hmm. And we could look all the way down to the city of Mannheim and we could see where the Americans had gotten across the locks where the bridge was blew up where the Americans walk across the locks, you know. There were some locks because uh, the Neckar River had high water and low water. And in order to keep the water level so the boats could go sure. back and forth, they have to raise and, 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 and lower the... The, uh, the water level? The water level, yeah. So they came across and there was a dam right there on the Neckar River and this is where they put positioned themselves. Okay. There was a fight in front of our house. Really? There was the man which we saw on this on and there were the Americans. They've been apart a, a approximately maybe two kilometers, something like this. They fought and fought and fought until all the Germans got killed. With the days, hours, weeks? It was uh, approximately three weeks. Three weeks? Something like this. There were maybe 150 Germans or something like this. It was ridiculous. And I'll never forget this. My uncle and me, as a as a boy, we been out in the in the attic mm -hmm. and could look. There were the Germans and there were the Americans. So you guys pretty much spent that three weeks in the attic. Well, or basement. This is you could not leave the house. Yeah, it was sure. much was much too dangerous and shooting constantly shooting. There is, there is also a lot of Americans who lost their life as well. Yeah. I still remember with the jeep where they hauled them to the cemetery, you know, mm -hmm. where they're laying dead on the back of the jeep and stuff like this, you know, a couple of guys. And I still remember very well also where the Germans, there may be 10, 15 left. And, there was, and it was right there where the railroad track was, you know, what I mentioned earlier, mm -hmm. the railroad track. And... There lived a family, there was a, 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 a gate where you could cross the railroad track, there was a gate with a house and there lived a family in there and, there, and we, I got to be careful not getting sentimentalist. That's alright. It, it's such a, a unbelievable memory where hey guys called for help and no one came out of the house and helped oh. it's too dangerous yeah my uncle but but as i said my uncle he was he was in the in the in world war one mm -hmm. he could not understand this he was he, he was furious you know beside himself yeah because we heard those soldiers yelling for help and and they did not go and come out of the house and help, you know. Yeah.
So it was the family inside the house. Yeah, exactly. And they got probably hit with bullets and went through the walls. Or well, they they've been. I mean, they all had had little bunkers. The Americans on their side and, yeah. and there, you know. Even even I remember where I, as a boy, I know how to how to explode a hand a hand grenade. Can you believe this? With eight nine years old. The little uh, egg-shaped mm -hmm. hand grenades, you know. We pull the ring and throw that away. We even know, you know two seconds, three seconds, four seconds. This is what they used to be in, what they used in in a direct face-to-face uh, -face combat, you know. Mm -hmm. They throw them in the, across the, yeah. you know, yeah, in other, yeah, those egg-shaped hand. And the Americans, they let them, uh, by the, by the truck loads, they let them yeah. just be, you know. They even got, because there was the Nicker River right there. When they got fishing, but they throw those grenades in the, in the water, you know. You wouldn't believe how many fish came up. They just throw the grenades in the water and the fish come up from oh, the shop. Oh, I tell you, there was, and later on, there's a lot of people who still got killed where the grenade, grenades uh, has been still active. Mm -hmm. And again, bathing and stuff like this, and sometimes. Somebody swimming and. Yeah, something, some blew up once in a while, yeah. After the three to four weeks, of the combat mm -hmm. around the village, obviously, the Allies pushed back the Weimar Republic. Right. How was the feeling? I mean, was there some indoctrination on the part of the German government to try to scare you, of, of make you guys afraid of the Americans, much like the no. Japanese did? No, not at all. Or were you guys just finally glad this is oh. over? Was a relief? It was a relief. It was a relief, unbelievable. Everybody experienced. Uh, well, what, I mean, if you live in long enough in the system like this, you don't know what freedom means and sure. what it is. But it, it was like, you live in a different world. You live in a different world. And I remember the Americans that had a, uh, a general, he, General Hoover, mm -hmm. and he introduced, that was the first mission what they did, where the Americans came in, they introduced for children to have a daily meal in the schools. So they basically, when we came in we, and kind of set up a government, yeah. we initiated a food program for yes. the school to make make sure yes. that the children at least had one meal a day. That was the, the first mission. We had to go with with some of uh, a little pot or something and a spoon. Mm -hmm. Like a mess kit. Yeah. That was hanging on, on, my, on my school uh, 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 purse, you know. And then uh, they cooked, the ladies cooked the, the meals in the schools, you know, and, and I, I, I remember I even, that was my first baking, baking experience as a, as a boy in first school. First experience baking as a child? Was yeah, not only that, not to scale the ingredients. Okay. To scale the ingredients and bring it to the baker. And the next morning, on the way to school, I picked up the baking goods mm -hmm. with another, with another uh, one or two guys. Then we picked up the bedding. This is when we got the uh, uh, cocoa, uh, cocoa drink. Yeah, Coca-Cola. Co no, no, cocoa uh, uh, milk with cocoa powder. Oh, okay, cocoa. Cocoa, yeah. And uh, one of the spuns, what the baker cooked, you know. Yeah. Uh, what was a very, very nice thing, you know. Yeah. Well, at the first groups who came in, the town, I remember that, they came with big tanks and stuff, you mm -hmm. know, and we as kids, we got scared, you know, Sure. and they like to scare us, you know, they, they, we've been standing on the wall, you know, 
Du hast gesagt, and I came right, touched us with the big tanks, you know, and laid on, you know. And the whole street on the other side where I lived, you know, this is where all the people had to move out. Okay. And the Americans got in those private houses, and the best, the houses with the best equipped kitchens, you know, there were probably maybe 12, 15 houses, and the one with the best kitchens, they are the one who cooked for the guys, for the GIs, for the for the American soldiers, you know. The mess hall. I still remember where I saw the first pancake. Stack pancakes. Oh God! And we've been looking. Oh, the pancake! <laughs> you wouldn't believe this. You know what? What if you go through times, you know? Sure. And all of a sudden, ah, pancake. More yeah. pancakes and yeah. Well, just the amount of food in we general. Did, yeah, yeah. And, and those guys, that, those guys, they had some fun with us, you know. Sure. And they said, hey, boxing, you know, then we box for a chewing gum, you know. Hershey <laughs> bar. Hershey <laughs> bar, you know. And they got a chocolate every every uh, other day. They got... Uh, New rations of chocolate. Exactly, exactly. Cigarettes and soda. Oh, that was a hard, a hard, a hard thing. Cigarettes, you know. Oh, yeah. Yeah, because the the American cigarette was such a, a better quality than oh, yeah. the well, there was no cigarette. Well, they they used the tobacco what grows on the field. Sure. And and dry them and and they try to ferment them with all kinds. I remember my my brother when he 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 invented a a machine who cut the tobacco. You know, the leaves has been rolled up. You know, mm -hmm. with with some kinds I don't know thick with fixed taste and flavor and stuff like this. And they got in the pipe and, and under the front, you know, they put, got, has gotten a, a, a knife swirling around the middle. And this is the kind of stuff what those people smoke. You know? Yeah. It stunk like crazy, you know. Oh Pretty much smoke in their front yard. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Uh. As the war wound down and the, um, the fighting stopped, like you said, you had about three to four weeks of combat, plus the bombing missions in your area. Right. How much of your town was pretty much wiped out? I mean, how much of it was decimated? My town was not wiped out at all. We had a, a couple of hits. Even my house was hit, but but by the German flag, you know, by the sure for the German grenade, you know, because we, have, I mean, that was a, a nightly. A nightly show, so to mm -hmm. speak, you know, where the planes at night choose each other, and in the in the spotlight, you know, the they shooting. The flag, the f we had two flag stations around mm -hmm. the town, and uh, they missed those uh, uh, airplanes, you know. And we what? got we got almost directed, uh, directed almost, and we've been sitting in the shelter, just behind, okay. just behind, right there. Yeah. How long, or what was the post-war era like? You know. You had all these installations. You guys were under extreme government rule for so long. Now the war is pretty much wound up, and it's time to try to get back to normal. But it's been so long since you had normal, mm -hmm. plus some of the damage done to the towns right. and all the government installations. Was the was the rebuilding time? Was it slow? Was it quick? Fast. Very fast? Fast. Ten years after the war. Ten years after the war. You never know there was one. Oh, I would imagine living 
under such a tight rule for seven to eight years, yeah. once yeah. that that chokehold's taken away, people just they flourish. They yeah. have they have one they have nothing holding them back. But two, let me yeah, let me say something, and sure. I and I want you not misunderstand me. Okay. What, what I say, what had has been going was the, what the nation has been going through in all those years where the Hitler was the leader and and during all those difficult times. What the Germans have to learn that was what no nation in the whole world has been going through discipline, a must. The whole nation was marching, even from children that hardly could walk, they had to march. And I remember, because my brother was 11 years old, that they had the Jungvolk, Jugendvolk, that is like a, a children's army, so to speak. Hitler Youth? Hitler, yeah, Hitler Youth. They've been in sport. They've been in everything, in everything. And this is actually the attitude what helped Germany after to build up Germany in relatively no time. And my opinion, my opinion is still, there is still something left, or even now in those days. is still something left. Or even people who, who are uh, a little younger than me, who never... Then I know this. Then I know this. But I, I still can tell the way we has gotten then uh, into into uh, 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 in our trades, how to learn the trade, and 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 and, and that was still the work ethic. The work ethic, exactly. You cannot change this from from one thing to another, you know. Sure. And I mean, Lee is in business, and what is in business are upon discipline. Being there daily, doing mm -hmm. whatever needs to be done. A lot of people who not know that don't even know what we're talking about, you know. Absolutely. Yeah, and this is what helped uh, Germany after the, the war. Not to mention anything else, but the discipline and and the speed. And oh, I I can understand that wholeheartedly because even on this side of the the pond, you had all these young 18, 19 year old American men coming home. And so many of them were in the military right. that when they went back to work, so whether it was factory, whether it was schooling, right. they, they had a, obviously a different level. They still had that same discipline yeah. from being in the military yeah. that our whole society operated smoother, yeah. operated better. Yeah. And then you had their children yeah. kind of yeah. rebel against them in the 60s and 70s. Yeah. And things have kind of gotten socially a little more, let's say, lax. Yeah. Because fewer and fewer American citizens have that sort of military background, the discipline, whether it's the military mm -hmm. or Boy Scouts right. or just anything, yeah. as we move along, more yeah. and more people are just letting, let me be and do my own thing, right. Right. that it really does affect society as a yeah. whole. Yeah, yeah. And so when you look back on that generation, whether it's Germany, whether it's the United States, Great Britain, yeah. anytime you have a huge portion of your population go through that sort of training and discipline yeah. where you're basically realize my actions count and I, you know, I play a role right. in this venture, whether, yeah. whether it's operating a business, right. 
whether it's being in the military right. or being a stand-up person yep. in your community, yep. you realize what I'm doing yep. impacts other people. This is essential in, in, in those areas, absolutely. Yeah. As you remember, you know, uh, and that had to do with, with, with performance as well, you know, physical, sure. mentally, psychological, in all areas. And in 1936, that's where the Olympic used to be mm -hmm. in Germany. Yeah. And Jesse Owens. And Jesse Owens. Pissed off everybody. Pissed off everybody. Yeah, how many four gold medals or maybe yeah. or six or something like this, yeah. Yeah. He, he, that, that was the oh, that was the biggest downfall in for this. Oh, especially for, when, <laughs> when you're in Germany and you have a maniacal leader trying to tell everybody that we're the superior race. Yeah. And not only are we the superior race, but we have the most superior people. Exactly. The Aryans. Exactly. And then to have yeah. a black man from yeah. America come yeah. over and just decimate everything. Exactly. I see hugest egg on yeah. your face ever. I can imagine. I can imagine the meetings that that they had, and I'm sure somebody at the Olympic Committee had to had to pay price for oh, some absolutely. of these things. Yeah, it's just crazy. There are some people who lost their hats. I guarantee you, because this happens, you know. Yeah. Well, it's amazing to think that here we are in 2018, <clears throat> over in North Korea, they're going through a very similar thing as far as the indoctrination goes. But it's they're raised to believe that this guy's not only a leader, but he's their god. Right. That he makes the sun come up, the sun go down. Yeah. And I'm sure, with your experience of growing up in Germany at the time, you can probably kind of not relate, but have a sense of what some of the citizens of yeah. North Korea are going through as yeah. far as indoctrination, the overpower, the rule, right. the lack of freedom. Yeah. But as you said, as you said, if you live in that time. You really don't know what you're missing until you have it. Exactly. Yeah. I just had a conversation with somebody the other day, and uh, what I I not want to get in politics and, and anything else, but I've been through fiery and and fierce and stuff like this already in my in my. Oh, you know, absolutely. And I guarantee you, if anybody in the world would know what means war, mm -hmm. there would be no war. And as far as I'm concerned, anything, anything what happened in the world in order to prevent a war is the right thing to do. Regardless if it's, if it's this party, this party, against, whatever, war is the worst things what can happen. It is, it's undescribable, un undescribable, you know, how there's millions and millions of innocent people, children, you know, ah, this is unbelievable, you know. I want to thank everybody for tuning in this week. I hope you enjoyed the first half of our interview with Mr. Frederick Lindenbach. Um, this week's half of that interview pretty much covers the war and his time in Germany during the 1940s. The second half of the interview, which we'll play on next week's episode, goes into his later parts of life, becoming a professional soccer player. I think we briefly discuss his time as a pilot. But more importantly, we kind of get into how the war has shaped his life, his outlook, his perspective, and the things that we can do in our generation to move on and learn from history. 
and how to achieve and to learn from our elders and to learn from those who are around us that are more successful than us instead of looking down upon the successful people realizing this is an opportunity for us to learn and to better ourselves and the importance it is to have elders around you who can share their wisdom. So please tune in for part two next week and please follow us on Facebook. You can find us at our Facebook page at the What's the Scuttlebutt podcast. You can find me on Twitter at DTrain96K. And just last week, I re-registered a domain I used to run back in the early 2000s called d-410.com. In the future, when I get some time to redevelop it, it'll have links to all the projects that I'm involved with. Right now, if you go to it, it's just a direct copy of the What's the Scuttlebutt podcast page on StanHaney.com. Keep checking in on the future, and I'm going to redesign it, and it'll have links to all the projects that I'm involved with. Um, Thanks for tuning in, and we'll talk to you next week.